Thank you for joining us here today at Friendship Church. Has anyone ever read a scripture and then had it kind of play out in their life? Um, <clears throat> Psalms 20 can be titled The Day of Trouble. And so with Psalms 20, we have the multitude of Israel, the entire nation of Israel gathered together offering prayers to God on behalf of their king, on behalf of King David as he prepares to, to go to, to battle. And they're asking God to, to grant their prayers for the one with whom they're, they're praying for. And so if you will, imagine King David offering praise and sacrifice at the tabernacle and in, in with the high priest and and he's offering prayers to God as he prepares to lead his mighty men. And these, these mighty men are, are renowned warriors known all over the world. And he's not only leading his mighty men, but he's going to lead the entire army of Israel into battle. But here we have David praying with the high priest as his armies wait outside. And as the entire nation of Israel waits behind them, and they're suited and they're ready for battle. And if you read... 2 Samuel 10, which is where most scholars believe that this psalms comes from, you see that there is a neighboring leader that has died, and David sends some of his men to offer condolences to his son who has now become the king. And so some of the king's men convince the king that David has sent these men not, as, not, not to be nice, not, as, not to pay tribute, but to spy on them. And so he shaves their beard, he cuts their robes off at their waist, and then he sends them on their way. And so David finds out about it, and he sends two of his leaders out to fight these armies. And so when they see David's mighty men coming, then they flee. But they flee to the kingdom of Ammon, and they flee to the kingdom of Syria, and they gather both of the nations to go into battle against Israel. And that's where we find David here in Psalms 20, and that's why it's titled the, the Day of Trouble. And so we see David, I can just imagine him on his knees in the tabernacle in the presence of God with the high priest offering prayers and offering sacrifices and pleading with God. And then outside you have the entire city of Jerusalem, and you have the entire nation of Israel there supporting him and praying for him, and it goes like this. And this is the people of Israel offering prayers for David to God. They say, May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. And not only should he send strength to you out of Zion and from the sanctuary, but may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offerings. And then there's a pause. And they go on to say, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Verse 5 says, We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. David responds to the people of Israel by saying, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with saving strength of his right hand. And then the nation of Israel goes on, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. And so we have here, to me, just this, this fantastic picture of a nation supporting its king and a king doing what God has called it to do. And so at the same time, while we see the nation of Israel praying for David as he seeks the Lord, we also have a picture of not only the church praying for a pastor, but also the leaders of the church praying for the congregation. And not only do we have a picture of the church and the leader and the pastor, but we also have a picture of the assembly of heaven praying, lifting up Jesus as he walks to the cross. Because we're ultimately talking about not only King David here, but about God's anointed, which is Jesus. And so we have this fantastic imagery here in Psalms chapter 20. But what happens in 2 Samuel 10 is that David leads the entire army of Israel into battle against Ammon and Syria. And in the end of 2 Samuel chapter 10, David and his army killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen. And so they went into battle, and they won, and they conquered. But, but what's important here to understand is that as David was about to lead his armies into battle, there, he had no doubt that he would need the help of the Lord is in his endeavors. Jesus was the only one that could walk the way of the cross to secure, to secure victory in order to redeem all of us. And so we have this imagery here of Israel praying for David. And, and the church praying for a pastor, and a pastor praying for the church, but ultimately all of creation, everything that is in heaven, every created being, everyone in the throne, under the throne of heaven, looking to Jesus as he makes his way to the cross. Verses 1 through 3 say, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. To me, this psalm presents a, a tense awareness of the life and death issue that is about to be resolved on not only the battlefield, but at the altars in church and also on the cross. See, the picture of the people of Israel here is that they're offering prayers to God on behalf of, of his anointed one. This one man, his whole people, see themselves embodied in him. So, so all of Israel see themselves embodied in David as he prays and seeks the Lord before he goes out into battle. In fact, the Bible says that he is the breath of our nostrils and the protective shadow, the lamp of Israel. All of these are emblems of the king of Israel, but also of Jesus himself. In reality, such a role would prove too big for anyone but Jesus. And so while all Israel's hopes were found in David at that point, we know that David points to a greater one, who points to the Messiah, who is ultimately foreshadowed here in Psalm 20. And when the priestly blessing that Pastor Mark gets up at the end of every service from, from Numbers chapter 6, and he reads the priestly blessing. But verse 27, at the end of that blessing says, In this way they are to place my name over Israel, so that I will bless them. So every time that, that the priest would stand before the congregation of Israel and he would proclaim that priestly blessing, not only was he blessing them, but he was also taking the name of the Lord and placing it on them. So not only does Pastor Mark pray that blessing, but he also takes the name of the Lord and places it on us or over us, as you will, as our banner. 
And so it's for, important for us to understand here that to this idea was the fact that Israel was acting on behalf and praying for David. David was doing what he was supposed to do and seeking God. And so in 2 Chronicles 14 11 says, We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. And so David was going in the name of God. And the same thing that we have to do. We have to walk in and wear the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and go in the name of God into all this world. Psalms 23 says, May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Here the people of Israel are asking God not only to see David's sacrifice, but to receive it as well. Because David leads all the army into battle. And so this would lead one to believe that not all sacrifices are accepted by God, especially if they're not offered in faith and in accordance with his word. The Bible tells us that every good and acceptable sacrifice was made in faith by the one offering. In faith that the animal offered was a representation of the ultimate sacrifice of God that he would one day provide, which was Jesus. And then we have this word, Selah. Some people believe it is a, a, a note for the musicians. Other people believe that it simply means pause. And so we have the opportunity here to pause. We can take this Selah to consider Jesus and see that this prayer was appropriate for him as he faced the cross. The prayer was worthy to be prayed that God would indeed remember and accept the offering that Jesus made on the cross which could rightly be called a burnt sacrifice, as it was burned with the fire of God's righteous judgment. And Jesus held nothing back in his sacrifice. You see, the burnt offering that, that David would have provided was completely consumed on the altar. And the same with Jesus. He held nothing back in his sacrifice on the cross. And Psalms 24 says, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. In this moment... King David only had one desire, and that was to defend the people of God and the kingdom covenant with God. And so therefore, it's, a, it's good to pray, may he grant you according to your heart's desire. When our desires are in one accord with the plan and the will that God has for us, then we can pray the same prayer with confidence. We can also look to God to bring our desires more and more into conformity with his. I think that's the most important part of this verse here is that our desires, our plans, our purposes are brought in line with God's will for our life. And that happens throughout our entire Christian walk. And since David's purpose here was victory for the people of God, this was a good and necessary prayer to pray. We see that this statement can be applied to the great desire and purpose for the king of kings as well as he went into battle to accomplish our salvation. We look to Jesus struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we say to him, may he grant you according to your heart's desires so that you fulfill all of your purposes. On a personal level, we can also see that God gives each one of us a purpose to fulfill his great plan throughout the ages. The key to a life of fulfilled desire and achieved purpose is to find our place in his plan instead of hoping to make God part of ours. You think many times we beg God to line himself up with what we desire, with what we purpose to happen in life, rather than us laying aside our own plans, our own desires to line up with the will of God. See, Jesus knew that this fulfilled desire and purpose shown by his prayer 
in John 17. He says, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And the Apostle Paul knew the same when he his fulfilled desires and purposes shown by the words that he spoke at the end of his life when he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. My wife says it all the time. God has created you on purpose for a purpose. And it's at this specific time in history, in this specific place, that God has placed us all. So it's our duty as believers to get busy doing what God has called us to do to accomplish his purpose in this life. Psalm 20, says, 20 verse 5 says, We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of, the God, of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. We will rejoice in your salvation. This was the confidence that the people had in King David's success. They had so much trust that David was going to come back in victory through God that they were ready and prepared and already setting up their banners of joyful celebration. One Bible version says it like this, Let us set up our, our garlands to the Lord. Anybody been shopping recently? Have you noticed that there is fall stuff out? So you know what that means? So all the stores already smell like cinnamon and all that good stuff. So that means that Christmas is just around the corner. So I'm surprised that my wife hasn't already started decorating uh, for Christmas yet. But, you know, that, uh, it's just a short time away. And we'll lift up our garlands and we'll put the wreaths and we'll, we'll do all the decorations and all that stuff because, because we are celebrating we're celebrating not only Jesus' love for us, that he came to this earth, but also we're celebrating love for each other. But, but we know that there is victory there, and so we celebrate. And the people of Israel are doing the same thing. They're ready to set up their garlands. They're ready to lift their banners high. And so here the raising of the banners signify God's victory over the enemies. The Bible describes the tribes of Israel as they encamped around the tabernacle. They were each set up in their own tribe, facing the tabernacle. And so when David stepped out after his prayer, he saw all of Israel encamped around the tabernacle. And each tribe of Israel had a banner raised above where they encamped that had the name of their tribe. And so they lifted up their banners and our banners are flags of defiance to the enemy, but at the same time as they're flags of defiance, they are also tokens of triumph of God's glory. The Bible tells us that God has set a banner over us, that we can run to his banner of victory, which is love. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will delight over you with joy, he will quiet you with his love. He will dance, and some say he will sing over you with joy. Romans 5 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. <clears throat> so I guess the question today is what banner do we run to? What banner do we lift up over our lives? What banner is, is lifted up? Do, you, do we run to science? Do we run to politics? Do we trust in one party over the other? Whether it's Republican or Democrat. Do we trust in pride? Do we trust in individualism? Or do we trust in Christ? 
In whom do you put your trust in? Preserve me, O God, for I put my trust in you. Verse chapter 20 goes on to say, May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. This prayer for David demonstrates the confidence that God would not only hear, but fulfill all the prayers for his anointed one. This is true both of David and of the son of David, both true of the king of Israel and the king of kings. And here we have David's response in verse 6. It says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with saving strength of his right hand. And so here David is expressing great confidence that God would answer the prayers of his people and that God would save and rescue the king and therefore rescue all of his people. His anointed one. In fact, a sense that all the kings of Israel were God's anointed because when they were chosen, when they were anointed to their office, they would take a vat of oil and literally anoint or dump it on them. And so this, literally, uh, this literal anointing with oil was a picture of spiritual anointing with the Holy Spirit that is needed for the duty of leading God's people as kings. And so in saying that he, he's, he is his anointed one, David is referring to himself as king, but at the same time it's also understood that there would come an ultimate anointed one, the perfect king of Israel, the Messiah, Christ. It's true of David of, in Israel, but it's also true of Jesus, that the Lord saves his anointed one and his people, made perfect in the life of Jesus. And the verb save here comes from the same root as victorious, which is, comes from the same root that the name of Jesus comes from. And so here we see that when God saves, that when David says that God saves his anointed, he's literally pointing to the fact that God saves through his anointed, that God saves through Jesus. And the congregation continues in verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots, some trust in choices, in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. David knew what kings and their people normally trusted in, in human strength. And the way that it's expressed here through the Bible is, is with horses and with chariots. In fact, the people of Israel are told in the Old Testament not to hoard up for themselves horses and chariots because that's what they trusted in. They trusted in armies, in might, in power. And so the people of Israel were not supposed to trust in those things. They were supposed to trust in the Lord only. If David were writing this today, some would say some trust in nuclear weapons, some trust in tanks, some trust in machine guns, some trust in government mandates, some trust in vaccines. It's all part of human nature to put our trust in something. But as believers, we're called to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. The days that we face, the days that we are living in might become terrible, but the name of the Lord is mighty. And so David draws a strong contrast here. They trust in those things, but we trust in our God. You see, in the spiritual war in which we're all engaged in, the first and the most important step to victory is to renounce all confidence, all wisdom, all strength of nature in the world. And remember that we can do nothing 
in and of ourselves, but in the name and power of Jesus, our Lord, we can accomplish all things. Spurgeon says that this, Alas, how many in our day who profess to be the Lord's are as abjectly dependent upon their fellow men or upon an arm of flesh in some shape or another as if they had never known the name of Jesus at all. David put his trust in the person and the character of God. He didn't carry the name of the Lord as like some magical talisman, as some special power. Rather, the name of the Lord speaks of the comprehensive character of God. And so when David says the name of the Lord here, he, he's not using one specific name like we've seen in some of the other Psalms. He's using the name of God that refers to all of his power, all of his might, all of his attributes together. Because it's in that comprehensive character of God that we have this expression of faithfulness to his covenant with Israel. And so David is calling on God to be everything that he is in all of creation. David's calling on God to be everything that he is in our lives to accomplish his will and his purpose. By the name of God is generally understood various properties and attributes, but here Solomon, or in Song of Solomon, he says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and it is safe. Again, the entire name, the entire aspect of who God is, is what David is invoking here. And so we have a sense of triumphal defiance when David says, But we will remember. He acknowledges how easy it is to forget and how much it is in our human nature to look somewhere else besides God. But he says, here we will remember what God has done. Verse 8 says, they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, may the king answer us when we call. David's trust in God could be justified on many grounds. But one of those was a simple truth that David found that trusting God works. You ever tried to do things in your life on your own and it just doesn't work? Trusting in the name of the Lord works. And he learned that his faith leads to success. Time and time again we see it played over in David's life that trusting in the Lord leads to success. Those who trusted in chariots and horses have bowed down and fallen. Those who remember the name of the Lord have risen and stood upright. And he goes on to say, Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. The rescue David confidently sang of had not completely come yet. You see, when he's speaking this, when the nation of Israel is speaking this, they have yet to go to battle. And so he still needed to cry, Save, Lord, with the anticipation that God was going to do everything that he prayed for and everything that he promised. This is the language of faith, not after the battle, but before it's even fought. And so the final phrase, in the day of our calling, echoes the opening verse in Psalms. The fact that the time of trouble has been made the time of prayer makes these verses in Psalms 6 through eight, even more important and even more optimistic. And so my question today is simply this. As believers, 
as the church, as the body of Christ, who are we trusting in? I say that this scripture has been played out this week because in my life it has. Spiritual battle after spiritual battle seems like has been faced this week. In fact, I went somewhere yesterday and it's just the spirit of oppression was over the entire place and almost over everyone that seemed to walk into that place. You see, the spirit of fear and oppression has attempted to divide not only believers, not only the American people, but everyone all over the world. First attempts to divide us along the lines of belief and worldview. Then they attempted to divide over sexuality, and then race, and then health. Oppression and bondage through fear, whether it's the fear of COVID, whether it's the fear of any sickness, the fear of fellow man because someone wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask, someone gets a vaccine or doesn't get a vaccine. But the spirit of fear and division is present in our world today. People will not eat food because it's genetically modified. Pastor and I have had this conversation multiple times, right? You won't eat something because it's been genetically modified, whether it's a grain or some chicken that's been grown out of uh, an egg that was grown in the laboratory or whatever. But we'll, we'll eat stuff like that, or people will throw a, a big fit, like, oh, I'm not going to have any genetically modified stuff at all, yet it's okay to genetically modify God's creation. The government wants to tell us that our bodies can be modified to fit our sexual desire. The government tells us that, that we can modify and change the way that God created us simply because we have a desire that is perverse. And the government now wants to force on us, and I'm simply, I'm not making any political statements, I'm speaking spiritually here. So I hope you understand what I'm saying. Spiritually, the government is trying to force something on its people. To genetically modify DNA through a vaccine in order to fight a disease that is man-made. same man that is forcing, attempting to force this vaccine through the president is the same man that was in charge of the genetically modified creation, basically the weaponizing of this virus. Again, this isn't political because all of this is spiritual. The enemy has attempted to divide the people of God not only for months, not only for weeks, for years, but for centuries and decades. Since the beginning of time, the enemy has tried to divide the people of God so that they don't accomplish his plan and his purpose. Fear of whatever 
whatever that blank is for you that the enemy has tried to force you to struggle with. Fear has turned families against each other. Fear has turned people away from their relationship with God. Fear has turned people away from each other. And fear has stopped people from showing simple kindness to those in need. This time of year in the Jewish calendar is all about turning. It's about turning to each other. It's about helping those in need, turning to our family members, and turning to God. But the enemy wants to freeze us in fear so that we are scared not only to turn to each other, not only to be in fellowship with one another, but the enemy wants us to even be scared to turn to God. And so the enemy wants to oppress us and make us feel like there is no hope. But David bows on his knees here. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Because they stand in the power and the presence of God and they do not bow down to their enemies. Save, Lord. May the King of kings and the Lord of lords answer us when we call. The Bible tells us, and I want each and every one of you to hear me and understand what I'm saying. The Bible tells us that we have not been given a spirit of fear but we have been given a spirit of power power through the Holy Spirit and of love love conquers a multitude of sins and of a sound mind he can turn our day of trouble into a day of triumphs if we stand in His power and His Word. So the question is, do you trust in the name of the Lord in your day of trouble? If you will, everyone, please stand with me. When the people call upon the name of the Lord here, they're calling upon all the names of the Lord. Every aspect of His grace. Every aspect of His mercy. Every aspect of His power and His might. The Bible says that He is our strong tower. He is our refuge. He is our Redeemer. If you had a banner over your life right now, if you had a sign that you would lift up, what would it say? What banner would you lift up over your life? Would you be redeemed? Would you be saved? Would you be set free? Or are you walking with the banner that says, I'm scared? I'm scared of the unknown. I'm scared of getting sick. I'm scared because I don't know what to believe. I don't necessarily have all the answers for you. But I do know the one who does. I do know that if we stand in his presence, in fact, some of us, it would probably even be a better idea to kneel in his presence, to surrender our hearts 
to surrender our lives completely to him and say, God, I trust in you. He promises to be with us. They're going to lead us in praise and worship. I would invite you, if you would like to pray, Pastor and myself will be down here, but I would invite you, if you are with your family, to take just a moment to lift up the banner of God's name in your family to lift up the banner of God's love and God's power and God's presence, not only over your family, but over your home and over your extended family today. And to break the power of oppression and the spirit of fear in your lives so that we can walk in the power and the presence of God. Because I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer from His holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Hey, this is uh, Pastor Mark. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us online at fcfrisco.org or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're located in Frisco, Texas. We have services at 9.30 and 11 a.m. And you can join us uh, for our Wednesday experience at 6.30 p.m. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Google Play, and Spotify. Uh, Don't forget to join us next week for another episode.